Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast, episode 224, featuring Winterstick. I am your host, Matt DeLabono. Today on the show, we have Winterstick president and head engineer, Rob Liu. Winterstick is one of the pioneering brands of snowboarding. They were started in 1976 and helped kick off a lot of what we know about snowboarding today. And now with the resurgence of a lot of the surfy shapes we're seeing in snowboarding today, it kind of lends to Winterstick's original design. In this episode, we do get into the nitty gritty of snowboard design and manufacturing. Rob shed some light on where Winterstick lies in the tapestry of snowboarding history. We talk about some trend-setting design elements coming back into vogue, and Rob dives into how to break into the snowboarding industry. Definitely not an easy one to crack into. Either way, it was a ton of fun to record this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. All right, Rob, thanks for uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so to kick it off, who are you? Who is Rob Liu? Um, I am the president and chief engineer of Winterstick Snowboards. All right. What is Winterstick? Winterstick is the original snow surf company. When Dmitry Milovich patented the first swallowtail in 1972, um, it was really the first modern snowboard that we think of today. Um, There's no rope in the front, and it was designed for making turns in powder like we all want to do awesome um the the true uh stage setter for for modern day snowboarding yeah what's your background and how did you get involved with Winterstick? um so i'm a mechanical engineer um and I, I focused most of my education on uh snowboarding so my senior project in undergrad i got to do a research and development project with burton snowboards Um, So we got to make a board there um, and test it out, and that was really cool. And then we took a lot of the questions that we asked in that project of which characteristics are best in a snowboard and uh, what makes a good snowboard, Um, and I carried that over into a master's thesis, pretty much uh, determining how those snowboard characteristics affect snowboard performance or the dynamics of a snowboard ollie. And so coming out of school, I graduated from grad school in 2010. The economy was in the tank. There was no jobs in snowboarding, at least that I could find anywhere. And so I got a job working for Electric Boat, which is a company that makes nuclear submarines for the U.S. Navy. And so I worked there for six years until I got really fed up with just the corporate rat race and ended up quitting to move to Sugarloaf to be a ski bum and help my buddy start his ski company. And then it just happened to be that Winterstick was starting to manufacture boards at the same time. And so I started volunteering at Winterstick, sweeping the floors and cleaning up stuff. And then just kind of kept taking over more and more responsibility, board design, and ended up taking on being the president and running the company a little bit more. So what's the story behind Winterstick? I mean, one of the, the foundational brands for snowboarding how did it get started and i guess how did it get where it is today so i mean there was always the the snurfer was really the first thing that most modern people think of as 
like a snowboard or something that you you stand on kind of sideways and go down in the snow. Um, but it never really evolved past being a backyard toy. Dmitry Milovich and the surfer Wayne kind of had the idea to take surfboard design and apply it to powder. And so they both moved from the East Coast surf scene out to uh, Utah, and they started developing what we know today as the snowboard, but is really the the winter stick. So there's still the the hardcore crew of guys in in Utah that call it winter sticking instead of snowboarding. So essentially from that, the designs kind of evolved to from having just traction on the top sheet so that you could your feet didn't slip on them uh, to having uh, kind of fabric straps that would go over your feet and around, you know, behind your ankle as like the uh, fabric high back type thing. And it really just kind of evolved from there. Um, and it went through, um, you know, a few different owners and uh, the current owners have been running the company since 2000. And in 2016, they decided to move uh, all of the manufacturing uh, up here to Sugarloaf. Um, all the owners are uh, Carabasset Valley Academy uh, graduates or Mainers or both. Um, and so they kind of wanted to give back to Franklin County, which is kind of an economically depressed area and just bring some manufacturing jobs back up here. Was there any specific personal connection behind Wintersick specifically for the founders or was it just kind of opportunistic, maybe a little bit of both? Um, I, I think the, the, the owners just really didn't want to see, uh, you know, the first snowboard company yeah. fall by the wayside. Um, they just thought that it was too, too big of a name to just let go. Um, and, you know, it could be a little bit opportunistic. It could be, you know, but, um, you know, they, they saw it as an opportunity and really wanted to bring some life back into the company back in uh, 99, 2000. That's interesting. I, it's especially interesting. Um, it feels like, um, you know, a lot of the older brands are really starting to gain some crazy traction. Kemper, I think recently yep. got, I, I don't know the, the full story. I, I know um, previously Josh got to interview them, but it seems like kind of a similar situation. Yep. Um, I think it's, I think we're a little bit unique in that, um, you know, a lot of snowboard companies, um essentially just pay somebody else to make their boards and and they essentially buy in bulk from the manufacturer and then sell them as their own boards um and you know a lot of the the industry has gone to making their boards overseas um in china and dubai um you know there's a, some big factories in europe um and what we really want to do is kind of go back to the roots of winter stick making its own boards uh from 2000 until 2016 we were doing the same thing in terms of just buying boards from someone else and selling them as winter stick um and but there was always issues of um quality delivery time stuff that you normally have to go through when you're dealing with external manufacturers um and winter stick not being as big as burton not being as big as some of the other companies uh when we were going to those uh, manufacturers, we weren't necessarily first in line. Um, so if we were just doing a, a smaller order, you know, we would get kicked to the curb and, you know, the delivery would be late or whatever. Um, 
And so they kind of saw an opportunity to um, give back to the community that they've spent so much time with up here at Sugarloaf, um, as well as um, take over control of the manufacturing, take over control of the quality by doing everything right here in house. How do you develop your products? What testing went into developing winter sticks from the first winter stick to, I guess, when you more so when you, you specifically came on uh, onto the scene? Well, so in the, in the during the you know sixteen years that they were buying snowboards from other manufacturers, they were able to go through uh, different designs. Um, you know, the our iconic boards are the Swallowtail um, and the Roundtail. Um, those are boards that Winter Stick's been making since the seventies, um, and essentially they've just um, changed those designs um, to work with uh, modern bindings and kind of how the modern snowboarder rides. Um, in 2015, uh, I think the date's right on that, uh, Seth Westcott and Tom Burke both got involved in the company, um, both legendary riders. Um, you know, Tom Burke was one of the first guys to go into the backcountry up in Alaska and ride a lot of those lines. Um, Seth is a two-time gold medalist in border cross, um, but also has moved into, um, you know, big mountain riding and free riding. Um, and so those guys got involved in tweaking the designs of the boards and kind of tailoring them so that they worked really well for um, all mountain riding, big mountain riding powder. Um, and essentially, it's been a pretty easy job for me because I essentially just I can work with those guys who have years and years and years of riding experience and working with other companies to develop their boards and I can just ask them little questions about you know how the board rode where it could be improved um, and then we can make those changes here in the factory. Seth's been uh, really great to work with um, in terms of he's worked on board design with so many different companies that and he's ridden for so long at such a high level that he's a really in-depth knowledge of how the different specifications of a board um, are gonna affect how it rides so he can really kind of just tell me oh just take a millimeter out here do you know just make this transition a little bit different and we give it, get it back out under his feet, and he goes, "Yep, that's it. That's that's what we were looking for." That uh, level of experience, and even down to being able to pinpoint, oh yeah, just like a couple millimeters, that's yep. got to be. That's a. It's got to make your life way easier just to kind of have that expertise. And B, that's uh, kind of blows your mind that you can be that in tune. What are some big changes that? you made yeah. the winter stick to bring it into the 21st century while you were there. Was there any specific designs? I know you guys have pretty much all of your boards are available in split boards as split boards. That's not necessarily a new uh, technology. It's been around for like, I don't know, 30 years, I guess at this point, but is that like the kind of the biggest step forward that you guys have been really taking? One of the, the kind of interesting things about winter stick is if you look back at the original swallowtail design, Mm -hmm. um it's so many of the design elements that dimitri included in that original design those original boards back in the early 70s are just coming back into vogue now in snowboards 
Um, so a lot of companies, Jones, Burton, you know, a bunch of other companies out there are starting to experiment with, uh, you know, convex and concave bases and, um, you know, really directional shapes. Um, and that's all stuff that was done by Dimitri, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and then also the, the kind of the movement into snow surfing um, that's come back with, uh, you know, grassroots pow surf and a bunch of the other companies um you know a lot of those designs were originally you know very similar to what dimitri was doing um you know i, th I think it was grassroots snowboards made a a board a few years ago where our boards the early boards all said winter stick really big along the base um he kind of made a a, a swallowtail pow surf board and he put winter stoke on the bottom um, just to, to really kind of like pay homage to the original design and kind of bring it back around. And that's one of the great things about that we love about, you know, snowboarding and powder and that pow surfing gives you is it's just, it's a fun thing. Like it's just something you go out to do and have fun and get stoked on. There's no point to snowboarding, um, you know, aside from having fun, you know, Skiing was originally developed as a method from getting place to place, like back in cross-country skiing, and then people started going downhills, and it grew into a sport. Um, you know, snowboarding was just people saying, hey, that looks like fun. Let's go out and hike up in the powder and ride down that and have fun. Um, and so that's, you know, one of the things that we try and stay true to is just having fun on the boards, making boards that ride well and put that smile on your face. What do you think the next big innovation uh, for snowboarding is? Um, you know, I think snowboards are always going to get lighter and have their performance improve and stuff like that. Um, it's usually just incremental stuff from year to year. I don't think that there's going to be, you know, any technology in the next 10 years that's going to be like, oh, no, I need to drop this and go get that board right yeah. now. Um, I think what we're doing here um at Winterstick in Sugarloaf um and a lot of other companies are kind of coming to realize though is i think as a as a industry i think we're going to shift back towards um you know domestic ma manufacturing small batch manufacturing um you know there was kind of for a while there was the race to the bottom like who could make the cheapest snowboard um, whether or not it's going to break after a year, whether it's not, it's going to, you know, perform well. It's just like who can make the cheapest one and move the most product. Um, and I think a lot of big snowboard companies and gear companies kind of shifted towards being that, uh, lifestyle company more than a gear company. Um, and they shifted to ordering all their gear from another manufacturer overseas, whoever can make it cheap. We kind of uh, relate what we're doing here to the microbrew industry. You know, in beer for the longest time, it was Budweiser and all of the big breweries. And they, they were the only ones that were selling products like universally across the country. Um, and then, you know, microbrews came in, guys started brewing in their garage and really started to kind of make a, a higher quality product. And people realized, yeah, I can pay 20 bucks for a four pack of that beer because it's made locally. 
you know, I can go talk to the brewers and it's worth, you know, the taste of it is worth that extra money. Um, and this, the same thing for how we're making snowboards here is, you know, we're handcrafting them. Like every snowboard that we've made for the last four years has come out of this building. Yes, our prices are like a little bit higher than if you're buying for something that's made in China or made in Dubai. Um, but for the large part, we think that the quality is higher. Um, you're getting a better product. You know, we stand behind our product. All the guys in here ride. I, I think that the industry is going to kind of follow that shift, you know, especially with COVID, especially with uh, sourcing issues kind of and shipping issues across the world. Um, I think we're going to see a shift back towards uh, kind of smaller companies doing smaller batches of stuff and not necessarily that mass manufacturing. It seems like COVID's kind of, uh, I guess, nudged the course of the snow sport industry. I mean, do you think that with what COVID's doing, kind of like narrowing the the spout of opportunity to go snowboarding or skiing, do you think that's going to have some kind of major effect to the industry? Um, I think there is going to be a huge shift um, towards backcountry this year, and I think the the number of users of um, you know, backcountry areas is going to skyrocket this year. Um, you know, it's just, you know, if you think about, you know, especially at a, a northern mountain like Sugarloaf up here, you know, you're going out, even if you can get a lift ticket, you can get on the lifts and everything's going well, you know, on those negative 20 degree days um, where they're limiting the amount of people that can go into the lodge, um, I think it's going to make it a little bit unappealing to be at a ski resort. Um, just because if you're, it's going to kind of go back to the old days before there was, you know, little mini towns around every ski resort where it was just like, you go up, you ski for a while, you walk back to your car, you have lunch, you go back up, you ski a little bit more, and then you get back in your car and leave. Um, I think there's going to be kind of an increase in that along with uh, the increase in, uh, you know, backcountry access. Um, you know, we saw at the, the end of last year when the, the resorts closed, everybody got into, wanted to get into the backcountry. I mean, we, we had a very limited amount of backcountry gear left and it all sold out immediately as, as soon as the lift stopped spinning. Um, and so many places saw the, the just exponential growth of access into the backcountry to a, to a point where it got kind of dangerous because when you're going into the backcountry, you kind of, you know, they say no before you go, like you, you have to have backcountry experience. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know how to, you know, ski responsibly and not get into avalanche danger. And when there is avalanches, you have to know how to, how to rescue people, be carrying the right gear and all that. You know, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting winter with so many extra people in the backcountry and hopefully everybody will stay safe this year and really kind of uh you know do their research before they get into any dangerous situations what is uh, winter sticks commitment to sustainable manufacturing um so as a small manufacturer um you know we do everything we can to kind of just reduce our environmental footprint mm -hmm. um you know if you've seen our stuff uh we use uh real wood top sheets um which and um, we actually use wood sidewalls um, for most of our, our gear. Um, and so we're using as locally sourced wood as we can. Um, 
and it's just reducing the amount of plastic waste that's coming out of our shop. Um, we also do things like use um, uh, super sap, which is a bio-based epoxy, um, which is just a little bit better for the environment. And it's the, the little things that we try and do to just re reduce waste and reduce our, our footprint. If there is one thing you could change about the snowboard industry, what would it be? I think there, there, there's a shift and there, there is a movement already in the snowboard industry um, that's getting away from, you know, the, the twin and the directional twin. It's, which are, are great boards. It's been what I've ridden most of my life. Um, but it's, you know, you mentioned like what the next big jump in technology will be for snowboards. You know, a twin is a twin is a twin. You know, if you're riding on one, it's going to be largely like riding on a, a different twin. I like that the, the industry is kind of shifting towards uh, more directional shapes, kind of funky shapes. Um, a lot of smaller companies are doing like little one-off shapes or, you know, design your own shape. Um, and I'd like to continue to kind of see, see funky stuff out there, see stuff that you've never seen before. Um, you know, and just kind of push the limits of design to see what works, see what's fun to ride on. You know, like yeah. we said, snowboarding is just about having fun. So having a fun shape that's not necessarily the most functional, but it looks really cool when you're out there doing stuff is kind of part of what snowboarding is. Mm -hmm. yeah, I like that. I honestly haven't even really thought about that. There has been some pretty kooky shapes coming out. Um, I don't remember which brand it was. Um, it may have been a couple, but they have kind of like a lopsided shape. It's not symmetrical. There's like a, a stronger uh, front or backside. And it's there was like functionality behind it. There was well, a reason for it. And that that's really coming from, you know, the, the surf world as well. It's like, you know, there's, you know, asymmetric designs have been around or for snow in snowboards have been around forever. So like some of the first generation snowboards were asymmetric. Because if you think about, a snowboard turn you have a heel side and a toe side and biomechanically those two turns are different you know you're going through a different motion when you're turning on your heel side than you are when you're on your on your on your toes you know there's always kind of the make the two turns as similar as possible while it's still different and yeah see, seeing those funky shapes seeing you know the different ways that people come up with asymmetric boards and their goal of how it's going to make it better or, you know, uh, improve the performance of something is just really interesting. And, you know, it does kind of limit it for regular or goofy riders. Um, but I think it's, you know, continuing to push in that direction is, is, you know, that's where the fun is. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made along your career? I think that, if I was to go back and do it all over again, um, I think just not pursuing my passion sooner in life, um, not that I'm old by any means, but, um, you know, I worked at Electric Boat for six years um, and it was a good quality job and I had benefits and it paid the bills and it paid for me to go on snowboard trips and buy all the gear that I wanted. I think if I could look, go back and talk to myself when I started that job, it's like, great, you know, pay off your student loans uh, and start working on your passion now. 
you know, I not necessarily quit and, and go be a ski bum somewhere and, you know, kind of do what I ended up doing. I would say that I would have tried to start, you know, making my own snowboards in my garage or something like that, or, you know, making my own bike or, or something along those lines of working on my passion projects um, a little bit more than just being comfortable and doing the sports that I love and saving for retirement. You know, I, I think I would have burned a little bit more of that on trying to advance my career into what I wanted to be doing. What advice would you give someone that wanted to get into the snow industry? Um, I would say be really lucky. <laughs> um, but I mean, in all seriousness, like I applied to every single snowboard job, every single bike job um, that I could find. Um, I sent out hundreds of cover letters, every chance that I could get, just randomly talking to companies, randomly spamming uh, you know, companies' info, email address, and saying, hey, do you need anyone? Like, I, I'm willing to work. And it really didn't get me anywhere. Um, it wasn't until I quit my job and stopped being comfortable, you know, moved to a ski mountain and then got extremely lucky in having a company be starting up at the same time as I moved there and me having the perfect skill set to kind of shift into a position with them. Even that being said, I, you know, I worked unpaid for winter stick for a few months. I had to go work as a park, uh, a park crew guy on the mountain at Sugarloaf before I actually was able to get a job here. And even then it was, you know, still sweeping the floors and cleaning stuff. And, you know, I really just kind of kept grinding until it worked out. That being said, I got really lucky falling into this position. Um, anyone looking to get into it, you know, you have to think about what you want to do in the industry. If you want to do sales, I mean, there's always sales in the industry you know, get a job in a ski shop, learn what products are out there. And then, you know, if you want to be designing, if you want to do the graphics of a board, you got, you have to give yourself the skill set to get into those. Like you have to become an engineer and then hopefully shift into doing snowboards or, you know, you have to get the artistic skills that you need to shift into snowboards. It's funny. That's kind of why, why we started Ready Yeti. I, I also applied to a lot of jobs um, specifically for like snowboard brands, honestly, even the sales positions, cause I didn't have any kind of engineering background. So it's not like I'm going to do any designing. That'd be insane, but it's everyone like it, it is an awesome industry to work in and it's, it is tough to break into it. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, we got time for one more, uh, one more question here. What's the best part? about being at the helm of winter sticks design team i mean by far the best part is just working from conceptual design all the way through to a product that you can ride on you know getting to uh, one of the first design projects that i took on here was making a few small changes to seth's pro model um, we just made some really minute changes um, and then, you know, made the boards, tested them out, um, and then, you know, sent him out his race boards to, to go race at the uh, Mount Bacon, Baker Legendary Bank Slalom. Um, and seeing Seth win on the board, um, 
that I got to work with him on the design and, you know, got to ride here at the mountain and really kind of see how it felt. Um, and then getting to see him win on that is really just, you know, there's nothing really that compares to seeing people enjoy and be successful on the things that you get to design. Yeah. Um, well, with that, Rob, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, for anyone listening who wants to find out more about Winterstick, what is the where's the best place to go? Um, you can check out, um, we have an Instagram, we have Facebook. Uh, best place to see our stuff is uh, winterstick.com. Um, all of our uh, in-stock models are up there on the website with our unique wood top sheets. You can see the, the exact top sheet that you're going to get for all of our in-stock stuff, or you can let us know what you want for a custom board. Awesome. Um, Rob, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.